Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to First uh, John, First John chapter one, and let's let's stand in honor of God as we read His Word together this morning. First John chapter one, verses one through four, as we look at John beginning this epistle to a congregation he loves very dearly. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You may be seated, and may your hearts be encouraged this morning as we look at what John is writing here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fellowship we have in your Son, Jesus. Please give us the ability to understand your truth to apply it to our lives, to experience the joy of being obedient to you. pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the saddest songs in the world is the song Cats in the Cradle. Ever heard Cats in the Cradle? Some younger people approached me after first service and said, I've never heard that song before. Uh, It's a song from the 1970s, Cats in the Cradle, and I had never understood the lyrics until a few years ago. I was watching a Father's Day video and understood the lyrics for the first time, and I thought, oh my, how sad of a song. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the song is about the relationship between a father and his son, and this this father kind of is a a busy guy, and he has this son, and and the relationship isn't all that it could be because the dad is, is so busy with various things, and so... The song takes its title from the chorus, and the chorus is kind of alludes to several different nursery rhymes and talks about this conversation between the son and the father. And it, the, the chorus goes, the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. And the son says, when are you coming home? And the dad responds, son, I don't know when. You know we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. And throughout the song, the, the little boy wants to be like his dad and and understands the dad can't be with him, but the dad keeps on being too busy to spend time with his son. And, and then as the son grows up, and the dad begins to want to spend time with the son, the son, who said he wants to be like his dad, says, well, now I don't have enough time for you, you know, and I, uh, maybe we'll get together later. And the dad comes to the very sad realization that his son has indeed grown up to be just like him. Oh, what a sad song, right? <laughs> yeah, in fact, you want to go home right now and call your parents or spend time with your kid. Like, I gotta go. It's just kind of a, it's a, it's a very sad song. It's a sad song because it's about relationship that could have been there that wasn't because the dad didn't rightly prioritize it. There's just a sense of loss that I feel when I hear that song because of, of what could have been, the joy that could have been in that dad's life. And wasn't because of some foolish decisions regarding priority. I feel similarly when I hear people talk about the church sometimes. As people talk about their relationship to the church, sometimes I I feel a sense of sorrow because 
I know that they could have so much more joy in their life if they viewed their relationship with the church and the people in the church differently. So I might hear a person say things like, boy, I'd like to be involved in other people's lives, but this is just such a busy time in my life at work. Or the kids are at such an age where they've got so much going on that we're just kind of too busy to spend time with the, 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 the church right now because where our kids are at. Or I hear someone say something like, well, you know, I've, I've come from a, out of a tough environment and, and now I just need some time to heal before I get involved in people's lives. Or I've just come out of a conflict and I'm hurting because of this conflict with another Christian and once I'm past that conflict, then there'll be time to engage in church life and life with other people and oh, it just makes my heart sad. I've seen a pattern, you've probably seen this as well. A person might come into a church, be too busy for relationships, not feel connected, and, and, and not engage in the lives of the saints, and then feel, okay, it's time, maybe go somewhere else and a fresh start, and the, the, the cycle just starts again. There's sorrow in my heart as I, I hear about that, because I know that God has designed us to experience the joy of fellowship. Fellowship with other believers. It's a fellowship that begins by rightly understanding who Jesus is. A person understands who Jesus Christ is and they enter into relationship with God by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And, and they enter into relationship with God and, and then they have this, this commonality with other believers and in Christ, and, and then there's, this, there's supposed to be this, this fellowship that takes place among believers, and, and that doesn't take place so often. But a right doctrine is supposed to lead to a, a right confession that leads into to fellowship. And you say, well, well, Daniel, can you sum up all that in a nice sermon sentence? And the answer is yes, I can, and it's this. Uh, common confession Common confession fuels joyful fellowship. Common confession, that is a, a common understanding of who Jesus Christ is, a, a common declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that common confession that a church should have fuels joyful fellowship. If you want to have the, the joy of fellowship, it begins by having a, a right understanding of who Jesus Christ is. A common confession as a church regarding who Jesus Christ is fuels joyful fellowship. That's what we're talking about this morning. Remember last week, we kind of began looking at 1 John, and as we began to look at 1 John, we, we saw that 1 John was written by the Apostle John. John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and John, as a follower of Jesus, was sometimes a little bit aggressive, not a very gentle person. Jesus gave him and his brother James the, the nickname Sons of Thunder. They were kind of these these aggressive people who saw themselves as truth-tellers. And there was the situation we looked at where, where John and his brother James suggested that fire be called down from heaven to consume these people who weren't acknowledging Jesus as Christ. And John is, is just a guy who's, who's uh, aggressive, aggressive and not gentle, not loving whenever he's one of Jesus' disciples. We saw that this disciple is changed at crucifixion and after the resurrection. He becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church, and he's still a person who's passionate about truth, but he's a much more gentle person as well. We see him 
take on leadership in Asia Minor, the church at Ephesus, and some of these other churches in the region. And he becomes a pastor who still loves truth, but also loves people. His love for people and his love for the truth causes him to be very concerned when some false teaching creeps into the church at Ephesus and the surrounding region. And so he writes 1 John to address this false teaching. These false teachers, from what we can piece together from the historical evidence and from what we see here in 1 John, these false teachers had a strange view of the material world. They saw the material world as, as evil and the spiritual world as good. They saw all things were material as, as evil. And this kind of affected what they believed, first of all, about morality. They believed that things were done with a physical body, weren't, weren't necessarily uh, the spiritual side couldn't be tainted by that, and they allowed people to engage in all sorts of immorality and, and excesses. And they also, because of what they believed about the material world, they believed some wrong things about who Jesus was. They believed that, that Jesus' deity never uh, entered into humanity. There was perhaps Christ, who was, who was God, and then Jesus, who was man, but, but the two didn't intermingle, and, and God didn't become flesh, and God didn't die on the cross, and so obviously God didn't rise from the dead, and so there were some things that, that were affected regarding the, the gospel, what a, what a person was placing their faith, who a person was placing their faith in as they fell under the teaching of these false teachers. Their teaching also led to great division in the early church. John's concerned about this, and so he writes the epistle of 1 John to make sure that the people he loves understand and believe the truth. In fact, we talked about genuine fellowship. These, these false teachers were saying we have some special knowledge. We have this, this special insight that allows us to have this special type of fellowship and causing them to secede from the, the true church. And John wants the people he loves to understand what the truth is. He wants them to respond rightly to the gospel message. He wants them to understand who they are in Christ, and what true fellowship looks like. Again, we're going to see common confession fuels joyful fellowship. And what I hope happens in your heart as we look at what John says here in these first few verses of this, this, this passage, what I hope happens in your heart is that you have a love for the church. And I don't mean love in like an abstract way where you say, oh man, I really love the church, you know, just this spiritual idea of the church. Or I love the church, like one aspect of the church. I love the church, and we say I love the church. I mean, I love the worship in our church, or I love uh, the teaching in our church, or I love how cool our senior pastor is, whatever. Um, I mean, I'm not saying you can't do that, but I, I hope your, your love for the church is more than that. You say, I, I, love, I, love the, I love the people in the church. I love the totality of the church. I love who Christ is as he's, he's displayed in his church. I hope whenever you leave here this morning, you say, I, I love the church, or at least I desire to love Christ's church and to be a part of it and to fellowship in it, okay? So here's what we're going to do as we begin looking at this, this letter, 1 John, here kind of toward the, the back of your Bible. And in fact, it, we have some ushers here, uh, some, some guys stand up. If you don't have a Bible this morning, 
um, not a problem. And if you want to, to have one, just kind of raise your hand as these guys come by and they can kind of hand you one. First John is kind of at the end of, of the, the Bible right before you get to Revelation. So if you need one, just go ahead and, and uh, these these guys can, can give you one of those. So we're here in First John, and we're going to look at the first, or first John chapter 1. We're going to look at the first few verses here. And as we, we look at these verses, John is going to tell us three things about him and the other apostles and their ministry, three things he wants the people to understand for them to have this, this fellowship. And then we're going to look at three kind of principles that help us experience the fellowship that John wants us to, okay? Does that make sense? All right, so here's the first thing that John wants to tell these people he loves so much. The first thing he wants to tell them is we experience the incarnate Christ. We experience the incarnate Christ. And we see this in verse 1. Think about your, uh, think about grammar here for just a minute, because verses 1 through 3 are all one long sentence. The first part of verse 3, all the way through verse 1, that's one long sentence in the original language. And so uh, let me, let me kind of remind you a little bit of something you know about grammar. Uh, there's a subject of the sentence, there's a verb, and then there's a direct object. And so in the sentence, I threw the ball, what's the subject of the sentence? It's, it's I, okay? Then what's the action? It's, it's through, that's the verb. And then what's the direct object? It's, it's the ball, okay? Now, John, as he begins this epistle, does something a little different. He begins with the object, you're not going to encounter the main verb and, and, and subject of the sentence until verse 3. And the, the subject of the sentence is we, and the verb is proclaim. So he's saying we proclaim, and the subject is the word of life. And he's going to begin by talking about the direct objects. He's going to begin talking about the message they proclaim. So he's saying we proclaim the word of life, we proclaim Jesus, but before I tell you about we proclaiming, let me begin by telling you about Jesus. Let me begin by telling you about who Jesus is. And so he begins by talking about this incarnate Christ, about God becoming flesh. And as you look at verse 1, you see that John is telling us five things about this word of life, the person and the work of Jesus. So look at it with me. Five things. Number one, the first thing he says is, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, he's going to develop this idea a lot more as we go through 1 John, but John's audience would have understood what John was saying. They would have thought, first of all, about Genesis 1-1, that which was from the beginning. John 1, uh, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. When a Jew or a Christian who's been influenced by Judaism Here's this phrase, in the beginning, they, they think of God being at the beginning in this act of creation. So he's saying this, this word that I'm proclaiming to you, this message, this person of Jesus Christ was at the beginning. He's, he, he's God. He's referring to Jesus' deity. John's readers would have even understood from the Gospel of John, they would have thought of John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so they understand the first thing that he's telling about this word that he proclaimed to them is that this word was God. This word was deity. Jesus Christ is God. And then there's four more things that he tells us about his relationship to this word of life. He says that which was from the beginning. And then the second thing he says, which we have heard. Third thing, which we have seen with our eyes. Fourth thing, which we have looked upon. Fifth thing, and have touched with our hands. So he says, look, we, here's a message that I'm proclaiming to you. It's about this word of life who was God, who's from the beginning, God from eternity past. We 
heard him, we heard this message, and said, well, you've heard it, maybe it wasn't true. No, no, no. We saw it. It wasn't something we heard about from a friend of a friend of a friend. It was something we personally witnessed. I was looking up some urban legends this, this last week, and one of the urban legends that I can remember as a kid was about Halloween candy. Uh, I can remember my mom just being convinced that uh, all of our Halloween candy was poisoned, except the chocolate. I think the chocolate was okay, but all the other candy was, was poisoned, you know, and, and uh, I, would, I just remember thinking, what, you know, have we ever actually known someone that had their candy poisoned? And, and I think the answer was no, but we always knew of a friend who had heard of someone whose candy had been poisoned or had had the razor and the apple or something like that. And, and But, you know, never to actually happen. There's another urban legend that I didn't, I, I'm embarrassed of this in a little bit because, uh, well, the other urban legend I read about was that uh, keeping your batteries in the refrigerator will make them stay healthy longer. I see someone nodding. Um, that's not true. Um, but my batteries are in my refrigerator right now because I, am con- I was convinced that a friend of a friend told me that, you know, someone at Energizer told them that this is what you choose. But it's not true, according to the battery experts that I was able to read this. Line. But there, there are these things we hear from a friend of a friend, right? Um, John says, no, this isn't a message. What we believe about Jesus isn't something we heard from a friend of a friend. This guy told me. He says, no, no, I heard it, and I'm part of the group who, who saw it with my own eyes. And I didn't just, just see it with my own eyes. I, I looked upon it. I, I carefully gazed upon it, and not only did I, I hear it and see it and look upon it, I, and this would have been shocking for these false teachers or those who've been influenced by these false teachers who said the material world was evil inherently. He says, we touched it. We touched God. Remember after the resurrection, they, they touch Jesus and, and, and see him eat, that he's, he's flesh. He's not just some spirit being. John believes it's, it, it is important for his audience to understand that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And he begins his epistle, he begins this letter with these five things about Jesus so that they will understand Jesus is God come in the flesh. You know, whenever you introduce yourself to someone, you can't tell someone everything about yourself right off the bat, right? You kind of have to pick the things that are most important. Kind of what you say depends upon the circumstances. And so maybe you're at work and you introduce yourself to someone for the first time. You say, okay, well, my name's this, and this is the division I work in. Uh, You introduce yourself to a neighbor, you know, hi, neighbor, this is how many children I have who will be destroying your yard when you're not around. Um, uh, whenever you're at church, you know, so if, maybe if you're, <laughs> you come to church and uh, you, here's, here's my name and here's my family. Or whenever we go to a church, one of the first things that I have to say when I'm visiting a church is, uh, and I'm a, I'm a pastor at another church because if you don't, they'll try. Literally, this happened one time. Uh, we came to a church one time. We were visiting a friend and they tried to get Whitney to be in their Christmas pageant. I mean, you just you have to kind of, hey, I'm not going to come back. Um, <laughs> ma- she was a great Mary, though. Um, and may- maybe some of you are visitors this morning go, yeah, I can identify with that. I just came in in the door, and, you know, I'm already in a Bible study. What are you, back off. Um, you introduce certain things about yourself, the things that are most important. All right? 
And John is, is saying, look, here are the, the things you need to grasp about who Jesus is. If we're going to have fellowship, if we're going to have relationship, here are the things you need to know about who Jesus is. He's, he's God, come in the flesh, and what these false teachers are saying about God not being, not God and Jesus not actually being a human being, God not becoming humanity, that is deadly wrong. God became flesh, he's saying. It's important that his audience believe and understand that. Now, now here's, here's how this gets into to our world. Just because someone uses similar terminology doesn't mean they believe the same thing. These false teachers whom John is interacting with used some of the same vocabulary that John used. They talked about Jesus. They talked about Jesus being a way to God. They talked about knowledge. But when they use the term God and Jesus, when these false teachers use these term, terms, they mean something really different than what John meant. And because they were using the same terminology, but meaning different things, their beliefs were going to take them in two opposite directions concerning their relationship with God. Imagine a really bad surgeon who decides to use similar terminology to describe different instruments. So he says, uh, I'm going to call this hunting knife a laser scalpel, and I'm going to call this sledgehammer uh, anesthesia. He says to you, I would, you, know, have, you, know, you have an appendix problem. I'm going to take out your appendix using my laser scalpel, but first I'm going to hit you with a heavy dose of anesthesia. <laughs> what he means sounds very similar to what a good doctor says. The results will be remarkably different. The same is true with John and these false teachers, and, and, and this is not different from our day. Just because people use similar terminology and say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, or I believe in God, or I believe the Bible, what they mean by that can be radically different. John begins by talking about the object of his message, saying, we proclaim the word of life, and here's some things, but he begins by saying, here's who the word of life is. He's from the beginning. He became flesh. We saw him, heard him, touched him. Here's the second thing John wants to say. He says, okay, this is, uh, this is what we did. This is what we experienced. We experienced the incarnate Christ, and we proclaim him to you. We proclaim him to you. Look at verse 2 here of 1 John. He says, uh, for, he says and this is a, kind of a, a parenthetical statement. He, he repeats some things about the life. This life that I'm talking about was made manifest. Christ became flesh, and we've, we've seen it. We testify to it. And then here he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm formally declaring the truth of this. I'm, I'm telling you what I saw in like a witness in a courtroom, in a legal proceeding, I'm saying this is the truth. I'm proclaiming to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, was made manifest to us. All the things we've talked about already, this, this, this word become flesh. And that which we have seen and heard, he says in verse 3, we proclaim to you. We proclaim the word of life, indirect object, to you. common confession. 
you must believe certain things about who Jesus is and be confident of those things so that you can proclaim them to others. And John says, we experience the incarnate Christ, we have life in his name, and now we're proclaiming that to you. And he's going to say, so that you can have life with us as well. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but I want, I want to catch this. I believe that one of the most, and I don't want to exaggerate here, I don't want to, I don't want to be hyperbolic in, in what I'm saying here, but as I think about all the dangers that Christianity faces, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of problems with Christianity, right? Uh, we don't love each other like we're supposed to. We don't care for others like we're supposed to all the time. We don't love God with our, our, the fullness of our, our, our heart. And, um, th- so there's a lot of problems that, that, that Christianity has. But I believe the greatest threat to the church within the church right now in the evangelical world and in the Christendom world is a lack of confidence and sound doctrine and right teaching about God and, and confidence in what God's Word teaches about God. There's kind of a, a, a line of thought that has some truth in it, but, but reaches some really bad conclusions. And the line of thought goes something like this. Well, um, I personally have to acknowledge I don't understand everything in the Bible, which, you know, is true of all of us. We don't understand everything in the Bible. There's all sorts of failings we have that cause us not to understand God's Word perfectly. And then the next thought is, and different people have different interpretations of what's in the Bible, which is true as well, right? But then they reach this conclusion. Therefore, I can't say anything with confidence. Or I can say almost nothing with confidence. And, and any idea that, that someone has, I, I just need to, to not be uh, too dogmatic on the things that I believe. And that teaching is very contrary to what John would have us believe. John is saying, look, there, there are some things we need to know about who Jesus is and and how he wants us to live and be confident in those things and then proclaim them to you so that we can have the fullness of fellowship. Imagine you're in a situation and you have this, this bomb you need to defuse and the, 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 the clock is ticking on this bomb that you need to confuse and uh, d- defuse. Confuse is what I'm doing to you. Defuse is what you're doing to the bomb. And as, as you uh, look at the, you have these instructions and this manual on how to defuse the bomb and and. It's in technical language, and some of it's hard to understand. But what comes through pretty clearly is that you need to cut the yellow wire. And you have a a person to your right who can't even read, telling you that they're very confident the instructions say cut the red wire. And then you have another person to your left who who can read but doesn't believe in these instructions and says, I think you should cut the purple wire. Now, You'd acknowledge, yeah, there's some different interpretations of what to do, and yet still, and and some of the things are hard to understand, but still, the big message is coming through. I think that's analogous to how we approach Scripture. Yeah, there's some things that we, we don't understand, but just because someone who's never read the Bible believes certain things about it, that doesn't that shouldn't shake my confidence in what Scripture teaches regarding the, the, the big truths of the Christian life. And just because someone who doesn't even 
agree with the message of Scripture and the gospel, believe certain things about the Bible, that shouldn't shake my confidence. I believe that's one of the greatest threats to Christianity today is a, a lack of confidence in coming to God's Word and, and seeing what it says and believing it. And John says, look, these things that, that we experience, now we're proclaiming to you, it's important that you understand and believe these things. And if the reason why, the third thing we see here that he's telling us is because we desire the joy of fellowship. Remember what I said? Common confession, common belief about who Jesus is fuels joyful fellowship. Listen to what John says. Why are we proclaiming this to you? Verse 3, we proclaim him also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. We want to be in relationship with you, John says. And then he, he lets in a little surprise. Here's the kicker. And our relationship is not just with, with us, it's with the Father. And his son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What does that word fellowship even mean? I think sometimes we misunderstand what that word fellowship means. Sometimes we think, well, fellowship, that means uh, hanging out together, you know. Fellowship means that I enjoy spending time with, with someone. It's, it's a subjective thing. It's some people I enjoy fellowship with and have fellowship with because we like hanging out together. Some people we don't. You know, Jake and I, we like uh, going out to eat together or something, so we have fellowship, right? We do enjoy eating with Jake, but that, that's, there, there's more to fellowship than that. There's more to fellowship biblically than, than just enjoying hanging out with someone. It's more than just a subjective idea. You see, Jake and I are in fellowship when we enjoy hanging out together, but, but Scripture defines it as something more. And, and Jerry Bridges makes a, 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 gives some, some great illustrations of this in his book called True Community. True Community is a great book by Jerry Bridges. And uh, he makes this point. It says, it's not just object, a subjective, like, you know, I kind of enjoy hanging out with you. There's also an objective aspect of Christian fellowship. So let's say that you were talking to my children, and you said to... Uh, my daughter Hannah. Hannah, what's your relationship to Daniel Bennett? What would she say? She'd say, my relationship is I'm his daughter. He's my dad. And try as she might, she can't change that fact. Uh, we are in fellowship. We're in that relationship. And, and that's, that's an objective truth. The same is true when it comes to Christian relationships. Fellowship just it doesn't mean, I kind of like these people. I do, but it's more than that. There's an objective component of it. As you and I have a common confession, we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, it, it, it causes this fellowship to exist. We are now in relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in, in Christ. There's an objective component to fellowship. Jerry Bridges talks about the different words that are sometimes used in Scripture to translate the word koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship, words like partnership and words like communion, relationship. We see relationship as, as fellowship in Galatians 2.9. 
Paul talks about how he goes, and he's, he's there with the pillars of the church, and it says that they perceived the grace that was given to me, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They said, okay, we recognize that we're in relationship together. But there's also a component of partnership. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul is talking about fellowship. And he says, he's talking about these people, he says, uh, he's talking about their partnership, their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. They're in partnership. They're in this kind of official relationship. And then verse 7 of Philippians 1, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, your partners, your fellowship with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Because we are in fellowship together, when I'm in prison, you're in prison. We're in this together for our common objective of proclaiming the person of Jesus Christ. There's sharing in fellowship. Hebrews 13, 16 says, don't, the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have. To share what you have. True Christian, uh, we're going to look here in, in just a, go, go back just a minute here. Thanks. Thanks. So right now he's talking about how we desire the joy of fellowship. And he, he's saying that this, this type of fellowship exists whenever we have this common confession. John wants these believers to be in relationship with him, and they need the right doctrine for this. And, and, and now we're going to see three principles that I think help us have this type of fellowship as well. And go ahead now. Uh, the first one is this. True Christian fellowship is marked by common confession that Christ is Lord. These are three principles that help us know whether or not we're experiencing a true Christian fellowship. Number one, if we're engaging in true Christian fellowship, it means that we all have the common confession that Christ is Lord. There's an objective reality here. John wants his listeners to experience joyful fellowship, and it begins by this, this confession that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do we know whether or not we're in a relationship with a person? Where's that line? Well, if a person doesn't believe that one enters into relationship with God through God's grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, they haven't received the gospel message. The gospel message is clear. A person comes in a relationship with God only by faith in Jesus Christ. If we don't have that common understanding, we're not in fellowship. We don't have partnership, participation, communion. By the same token, if a person does have that common confession, if we're agreed on the essential nature of the gospel, then relationship does exist and fellowship does exist. And of course, sin can mar that, and that's, that's a subject for a different sermon. But big picture-wise, if that common confession does exist, I have relationship with you that trumps the secondary issues on which we might disagree. So let's say that there's a person here and we both believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and we both believe that salvation, relationship with God only comes through the person of Jesus Christ, not our works, Jesus Christ alone. We place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, for our relationship with God. But we disagree about how much water to use in baptism or we, about when baptism occurs, or uh, when Jesus Christ will return, or we disagree about, um, you know, how to do church leadership. Now, all those things, I believe, some more than others, are, are, are important, are vital for us to understand rightly, but they don't negate 
the reality of our fellowship. Some of those are secondary issues. The primary issue is the gospel. And then there's like third tier issues too, like you know, how nice do you dress when you come to church? Do you wear a light red shirt or a different color? I'm a little self-conscious this morning. Those things are secondary or third level issues. Common, true Christian fellowship is marked by common confession that Christ is Lord. Secondly, secondly, true Christian fellowship is marked by deep relational commitment. Brothers and sisters, this is very important, I believe, to understand. True Christian fellowship must be marked by deep relational commitment to one another. You cannot say that you're engaging in Christian fellowship, the type of fellowship that God calls you to be a part of, apart from deep relational commitment to each other. So how important is this whole committing to fellowship thing? It's pretty important. In fact, Acts chapter 2 is is interesting. In Acts chapter 2, Peter has preached his first sermon there, and and he's he's talking to the the people, and uh, Many people, he talks about how they need to, to uh, place their faith in Christ, they need to turn from their sins, place their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And then in verse 41, it says, they responded to his message, they received his word, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then verse 42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. For a Christian, one of the essential marks of being a Christian was was listening to God's word, to devoting themselves to, to the true faith, and being in fellowship with one another. Partnership, relationship, sharing life. Jerry Bridges, in fact, says sharing a common life is a great way to understand what biblical fellowship is. Having a common life, sharing life together. This means that being at church is not a passive thing. You cannot say, well, I, I enjoy Christian fellowship because I, I come in on a Sunday morning or I sit down in a chair and then I, then I leave. That's not Christian fellowship. A Christian fellowship, true Christian fellowship, a deep relational commitment means that, I, that my relationships in the church take priority in my life in some ways, that that. Uh, I, I'm engaging in people's lives. I'm, I'm proactive in, in meeting their needs and, and being involved in, in their life. It means that you grow deep roots in the lives of other people. You know, this, this last week, uh, I was looking at some letters that we're, we, we send out whenever, whenever a member uh, isn't at our church any longer. We, we send out letters just to see, okay, how can we continue to, to minister to you and and care for you. You're not our church anymore, but we still love you, want to care for you. And um, as I looked at the letters and the names on the letters and kind of, you know, wrote some personal notes and thought about how to say some things, that there's sorrow, right? There was sorrow to see people who had been in relationship within a church and, and fellowship, and, and now they're not part. And, and it's different types of sorrow. Like, you know, some people 
weren't in church at all, and they're, they're sorrow that they're, they're missing out on that type of relationship. But even people who have left our church, and, and now they're in a different part of the United States, and I'm confident that's where God wants them and all that, they're still sorrow. They're still sorrow. Why? Because I love those people. We had built roots together. We had lived life together. We had ministered together. And, and now, by, by God's sovereign design, that relationship has is, is, is now been severed for a time in, the, in, in terms of the type of relationship. And there's sorrow there. There should be sorrow and gaps in the church if something ever happened to you. If God called you to go someplace else and you, were, you, you left Bethany Community Church, assuming you're part of Bethany Community Church now, you, you left Bethany Community Church, there should be a gap there. There should be hurt. There should be a godly hurt, a godly pain because someone who is part of the church is no longer there. If you could leave and nothing could happen in this church, that is a sad thing. That's not what God has designed you to be in this. In this our, our roots should grow deep and, and, and interconnected and our lives should be shared. I think that's what Scripture teaches us about the relationship that we're to have with one another. It's one of the reasons, by the way, uh, that I believe, kind of a tangential here, that, that I believe that, that church membership is so important. Not because, you know, I, you know, you have to sign in blood that you're always going to be part of Bethany Community Church, but there should be some sort of tangible commitment you make to the people that you're in fellowship with saying, hey, I'm part of you. Uh, I'm committing to be in life with you, and, and I want you to know it. And if you don't somehow let the people that you're around say, this is how you know that I'm, I'm with you and I'm, I'm part of your life, if, if there's not some way that you're saying that, then, then people don't know. People don't know. True Christian fellowship here is marked by, by, by deep relational commitment. You know, one t- you, know, you say, well, Daniel, are you saying that you can never leave a church? No, I, no. there are times that God's going to call you to different places, but, but there should be pain. You know, there was one time a, a person told me this. They said we were, we were at a church, and they were at this church for years, and then one Sunday we, uh, we, we didn't have, we, we just decided, I think the way they worded it is we, uh, we found ourselves in the parking lot of another church and realized, well, maybe we should go here now. I don't think that means you should, I think it means you should get a better GPS or something, or, you know, but that's sad to me. That's really sad to me. Because what, what it means is there was no sense of, I've, I've learned to love imperfect people at this place. I've learned to love imperfect people, and I've grown in life with them. But it's so easy to say surface level in our lives, and then if there's some sort of relational problem, go someplace else. True Christian fellowship is marked by deep relational commitment. The third thing, true Christian fellowship is, is marked by joy. It's marked by joy. The people who are teaching these these false doctrines are are, are talking about how um, relationships that these people have formed in the church aren't aren't that important, and they're they're, they're causing them to to secede, to to leave the church. John is is saying, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) There needs to be a unity 
to the body of Christ. I love what he says here as he closes this introduction. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, our fellowship is with, uh, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And we're writing these things so that you guys can knock it off and get plugged in. We're writing these things so that you guys can really start to work because we're getting sick of doing all the work and you lazy people not doing what you're supposed to be doing in the church. He doesn't say those things. He, in fact, he doesn't even say, we're writing these things so that your joy may be complete. I think that's implied. But he's saying, and I've experienced this, He's saying, we love you, and we want you to have this common confession about who Jesus Christ is so that our, our joy will be complete. Whenever you're going to be in this fellowship, our joy is just going to be exponentially increased because of your obedience to God, and we're excited about this. We're excited about what it means for you, and we're excited about what it means for us. Please join in partnership and fellowship with us. How exciting is that? John is super excited about being in relationship with these other believers. These people didn't understand, the false teachers didn't understand where relationship came from and, and how this joy could be experienced. And, and John says, oh, here's who Christ is. And we want you to be in relationship with us. We love you. My desire is for you to experience the joy of being in fellowship, the joy of being in relationship. It begins by you placing your faith in, in Jesus Christ, by saying, you know what, I understand that I'm a sinner, I understand that I've done things that, that displease God, and, and now I'm turning from those things. I understand that I, I deserve God's punishment. I'm turning from those things, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing Jesus. I know that he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I'm placing my trust in him alone. That's the common confession we all have. But that should fuel joy in fellowship. If you haven't got engaged in the lives of others, it can be very intimidating. And maybe even this morning, maybe you're newer to Bethany community or, or maybe you're at another church or you're just visiting with us this morning. My encouragement to you is, is to be proactive in engaging in relationship. And one of the things that we're really going to push through this study is, is for you, for all of us to be in, engaged in, in, in areas of fellowship. And one of the, the one of the the biggest ways at Bethany Community that we can do that is being involved in, in small groups, like care groups. Encourage you, you know, if you've been thinking, I know I need to do this, I know I need to do this, I know I need to be involved in a, a group with other believers, please email us this week and let us help you get in a group that, where you can find relationships with, with other believers and, and help live the difficulty of the Christian life with the joy of the Christian life together. Common confession fuels joyful fellowship. It's not joyful because it's easy. It's not joyful because it, because it comes naturally. But it's joyful because this is how God has designed us to live the Christian life in relationship with other believers. It's my prayer for you. You wouldn't be living the Christian life by yourself, but in community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the life that we have in his name. We thank you for the the joy of, of partnering with one another to know and love you more. We pray this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.